Welcome to The End Game, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Auction. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. My guest today is Matt Thornhill, and I'm excited to talk to him for two reasons. Matt is the creator of Openly Gray, a nonprofit organization whose goal is to change the mindsets of older adults in particular about aging. And in addition, Matt is also a developer who's creating intentional communities that are affordable to middle income baby boomers. Matt, welcome to the end game. Hey, happy to be here, Don. Great. I have seen posts from Openly Gray on social media. Um, Can you say a word or two about what it's all about? Yeah. Well, first off, I I wouldn't really say I'm the founder of it, uh, or however you put it, creator of it. It's not even my idea, quite honestly, but uh, I'm trying to bring it to life, that's for sure. So Openly Gray is a nonprofit that is uh, designed to really help people change how they think, feel, and act about being older. And the specific people we want to change are older adults themselves. Um, you know, there's a, a growth right now in um, the awareness around ageism. It's like the last ism that seems to be permissible in American society and culture. So there's a lot of folks out there who are making the case that we got to stamp out ageism correctly. So we, we need to. Uh, and they're, they're looking and finding examples of anti-ageist behaviors and statements and communications and all of those things and, and pointing them out, which is important. Uh, but I'm not sure if there's a uh, another effort, I, I should say, it occurred to me that another effort is required, and that is to uh, deal with the one of the root causes of ageism is our own um, self-destructive comments about growing older and attitudes about growing older. And if we really want to change the culture around how people treat older adults, I think we need to change how we treat ourselves and how we think about ourselves. So that was the idea, the fundamental idea behind it, was to start a nonprofit to fight age discrimination among the, the uh, older adults themselves. Interesting. So I'm a little confused. Is, is it an awareness campaign, a movement, a service organization, or something else? It's Yes, it's all of those. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it is an awareness campaign. And and basically, our strategy is, is kind of crawl, walk, run. Ultimately, we want to be a service organization where the openly people with the openly great mindset are out doing things to change the world. But first, we got to get awareness. And, and awareness is around the idea that, hey, if you have an openly great mindset, which is you are embracing this stage of life, you're accepting the age that you are, you're not ashamed at how old you are, and you kind of want to proclaim it to the world. I mean, that's why the name Openly Gray works. It's it's a riff off of, obviously, Openly Gay. That movement back in the, in the 80s and 90s was needed for the gay community to say, look, I am who I am, and, and I'm just going to proclaim it, and, and you need to accept me for who I am. Well, I'm an older adult. I am who I am. I'm going to proclaim it, and you need to accept me for who I am, not just put me off on the shelf. Uh, out of the way and out of out of sight. Uh, so, so the first is to get awareness that that we ought to kind of come out of the closet about being older, 
and that that'll turn into a movement, and then the movement will turn into a service uh, focus organization down the road. But we're just at day one at step one, which is awareness. Okay. Um, you mentioned that there are other organizations who are already uh, waging battle against ageism. So what makes openly gray different? Well, that's, that's a great question. Um, there are terrific organizations and a lot of them all across, not just the country, across the world that have embraced this kind of anti-ageism thing. And I think quite honestly, it's driven by the demographic reality we're experiencing. The, the whole world is growing older. You know, there's been a number that's been um, shared for a decade now about every day, 10,000 people turn 65 in America. And they tied it initially to the boomers who were kind of aging into that, that 65 and older segment as if the tsunami was coming. But it's not a tsunami. It's a rising tide. Because every day until, I don't know, 2060, 10,000 people are going to turn 65. That's not going to be boomers. It's going to be boomers mm. and then Gen Xers, then millennials, then Gen Z. And it's, that's just we're, we're growing our older adult population uh, exponentially, essentially, over the next 40 years. Uh, and that's going to transform the, the shape of demographics in America forever. I mean, we always had a lot of younger people, fewer made it to young adult, fewer to middle age. And yeah, we get people to, to 85 and beyond, but not very much. And they, they called it the population age pyramid. It was a, a triangle. If you put the men on one side of the picture and women on the other and showed kind of a bar graph, it got skinnier and skinnier as it went up. So it looked like a triangle. Well, with the growth of older adults and we stopped having babies, you know, our birth rate's way down, it's turning into a pillar. Hmm. In fact, the Census Bureau talks about the population pillar that we have. And that's our future. We're going to have equal numbers of young and old and midlife and, and old age. We're going to have tons of people in their, in their old age years. So with that, that change happening, I think, uh, and, and the fact that the people that were getting to 65 was that transformative generation, the boomers, who at every stage of life have transformed things, they looked around and said, well, wait a second, we're now the 65-year-olds or the 70-year-olds, and it's not so funny to make fun of old people when we're the older people. So, so we're going to fight back. So those efforts came about in, in pretty much in the last five to seven years. And the issue that I have with them is, is not there's nothing bad about them. They just come at it from one side. They come at it from, here's they're combative. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's your bad behavior. It's argumentative. They, they, they want to have a manifesto, if you will, about stamp out ageism. It is, it's mostly negative. It's mostly about what you're doing, them, the bad people over there, not what we're doing, but what they're doing. It's, it's about this problem of ageism, and it's all rooted in aging. And I thought, well, let's flip that over and say, could we do something that's maybe not combative, but celebratory? Could we be not argumentative, but affirming and accepting? Could we be not about a manifesto, but a mindset among older adults themselves? Could we be positive? Could we make it about us? And not about the problem, but about our promise. If we're going to have all these older adults in the world and in America, doesn't that mean we're going to have more people with, I don't know, experience, wisdom, ingenuity? You know, those trips around the sun, you pick up a few things. So can't we put that to good use? 
So it's not about a problem. It's about an opportunity. That was what I'm sorry. What? I was going to say, this is what I wanted to, to ask you next. What is it that you think older adults uh, and our society generally should be understanding about aging? What, what are the, the advantages? It, that you're not dead yet, Don. I mean, that's one of the, the points that the anti-ageism, and again, I don't want to stop the anti-ageism folks from doing it. They need to keep doing it because we got to stamp it out by pointing it out. But at the same time, we should be celebrating what it means to be older and that there is good in this. Okay. Well, what, what are the, uh, the things we can be proud of that we can rejoice in about being older? The fact that you still have things that you can do things that you can contribute. Uh, what happens, you know, you've probably heard about the uh, happiness curve. Yes. Um, social scientists have studied, you know, at what age people are happy and how they rate their happiness. And it's, it's not a, um, most people think it's like a mountain uh, that, um, like a, a standard deviation curve that goes up and then down. It's a U-shaped curve. It goes from up to down to back to up. And it's up when you're young and, and full of life and vision and future and into your 20s and 30s and, and even into your 40s, it's still pretty high. And it drops in your 40s and 50s and then comes back up in your 60s, 70s and 80s. And the drop is basically midlife and all the crunches of, of midlife of job and, uh, and buying homes and paying mortgages and raising kids and getting kids into college and working through your career and all of that stuff makes people less happy in their 40s and 50s. But by the time they're in their 60s and 70s again, they're happy. And you tell that to a younger person who goes, well, wait a second, they've got a much shorter time horizon. Why would they be happy? Don't they know that, that they're going to die? It's like, yeah, that we all know we're going to die. So far, no one has gotten out alive. Best that I know. Right. You know, we, we all have to go through that. And as you get to your 50s and 60s and beyond, you, you have a different appreciation of every day. And, and rather than concentrate on, on kind of what's, what's missing, let's concentrate on what's possible. Let's look at what, what we can do. So it's a mind shift. It's an attitude shift. It's all of those things. And I should qualify, too, that Openly Gray came from um, an, an effort that's kind of already out there among uh, middle-aged and older women who decided to stop coloring their hair. Hmm. So they've, they've you know, published uh, websites and, and Facebook groups and stuff about, you know, hey, we've got to stop coloring our hair. We've got to be openly gray. And, and I saw that and said, I had never heard that expression before. I, I saw it and said, that, that's great, but can't it mean more than that? It doesn't have to be about the hair color. I don't care what color your hair. I don't even care if you have hair. But do you have an openly gray mindset, which is I'm going to accept who I am and I'm going to proclaim it and I'm going to celebrate it. Because if I do that, then others will too. And maybe they won't look so disparagingly on me or so poorly on me that I'm, quote, older, old and feeble. Interesting. Do you have any long-term or short-term goals as far as where you, you see it going? So my goals at the start is to get people to know about Openly Gray, that it exists as a, as a potential movement, that we're trying to organize the troops, kind of bring the troops together and find the people that have got Openly Gray kind of in their blood already. And then once they raise their hand, we're going to turn them into an army of Openly Gray ambassadors and to recruit their friends. 
say, hey, let's let's become part of this openly gray movement. And when we get enough um, momentum together with the, the people that are openly gray, then we're going to start uh, equipping them and giving them tools about, well, how do you respond to people who give you ageist messaging? How do you respond to people who are um, treating you as if you're not capable just because you're older? How do, we, how do you change your own attitude, your own thinking around, you know, don't make disparaging comments. I mean, one of the simple things we want to teach people is to stop saying you're having a senior moment when you can't recall something. You think you're being cute, and you, you know, and we use it all the time. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. I'm having, I'm having a senior moment. Well, that just reinforces aging stereotypes that we're not capable. Everybody at every age has trouble bringing up a file. So why don't you say, hold on, hold on, I'm bringing up the file. Or, you know, hold on, I'm buffering, because we can all relate to buffering these days as we're waiting for shows to load. So make it not about your age, but about about something else. Anyway, so we want to equip the troops. And once we equip the troops, we then want to send them out on missions to go make a difference. And the difference can be in their local community. Maybe the local elementary school doesn't have an art department anymore. Maybe they could go volunteer and create the art department at the local elementary school. Maybe it's to, to deal with climate change and, and, you know, have a global impact. We're not going to dictate what the missions are. We're going to offer up some categories and some suggestions. And, and we just want to facilitate bringing them together so they can go do it. Okay. I'd like to switch gears now and talk about your housing venture, the Cozy Home Communities. So just to kind of summarize, what's, what's the concept there? Well, as, as background, uh, I'm not a, you describe me as a developer and, and I kind of playing that role, but that's not my background. My background is actually, I, I spent my whole career in advertising and marketing. And my first half of my career was in the advertising agency business in, on Madison Avenue and elsewhere, where I was studying, you know, consumer behavior. And the consumer I was studying was boomers, because that's who was 18 to 49 during the first 20 years of my career, starting 40 years ago. And then in 2003, I started a think tank called the Boomer Project. Uh, uh, Marketers figured once you were 50, you were dead, or or you were just an old person. We need to sell you, you know, Geritol or Depends or a Cadillac or something. They just didn't know what to do with them. Anyway, long story short is uh, I started this consulting practice. I studied boomers for the last 20 years. And one of the key sectors I was studying was uh, how senior living is getting ready for their, quote, tsunami of older boomers coming. And as I said, it's not just a tsunami. It's a rising tide. We're going to have more older adults. So the whole senior living sector and, and senior residential care sector is just up for a huge transformation as a new generation uh, comes into that that age and and that marketplace, and as I looked at it, I realized that they are ignoring um, the the middle income consumer. They don't really have product for middle income consumer. They've got product for for people that run out of money that the government pays for, affordable housing or HUD housing and such, and they have um, and they have product for um, uh, rich people you know, at the high end of the market. They don't really have anything for the for the middle income. Right. And uh, I just felt called to, to see if, I, if there was something to deal with that. 
And I'd had conversations with friends and boomers and, and at parties and events where we'd end up in conversations about where you're going to live when you get older. And nobody wanted to go live in traditional senior living communities, like a life plan community or a continuing care or assisted living. None, nobody wants to do that. Um, and they'd seen their parents in it. They just weren't interested in that, that offering. And they would say, gosh, I wish, I wish we could just, you know, all my girlfriends and I could get together and go live in a, in a cul-de-sac. Or maybe we'll buy a home like the Golden Girls and we'll all live together in the Golden Girls. Or maybe we'll end up with we, this group that we raised our kids together. Let's just go up, buy, you know, a, a, a wing of an independent living community and live there together. And I'm hearing that going, why isn't somebody building intentional community mm. where people who want to come together can kind of come together and live together if they want? So that led me to the idea of, of creating pocket neighborhoods, which is what Cozy Home Community is, the fundamental structure, is eight homes in, a, in an oval around a ninth building, which we call the common house, and that those people in those eight homes know each other, not just superficially, but they know each other. And maybe they've got backstory, but if they don't have backstory, we're going to make sure they get to know each other through some of the programming we, we have in the, in the community to do that. And you put, uh, you know, eight homes are on an acre, form a colony. You then put three to five to ten colonies together, and you've aggregated a big group of seniors to live together in community. And part of the deal of moving into a cozy home community, and, and we call them cozy homes because they're downsized. They're only about 1,200, 1,400 square foot homes. Two bedrooms, two baths. They'll be configured with a master and a spare or two masters. So you can have a roommate situation. 40% of boomers today, Don, don't have a spouse or partner. So that's no second income, no second Social Security check, and no caregiver in the house when they start to get older. 40%. 20 years ago, when the last generation was this age, it was only 25% without a spouse mm. or partner. So it's changed just in the last 20 years. And the sector hasn't changed. There's no accommodation for that. Um, it's all couples. And if it's not couples, it's, it's people that are widowed or widowers. And that's about it. Why not roommates? Well, it's against our policy. Well, guess what? You're missing 40% of the market, potentially. So anyway, uh, the, the uh, idea is when you decide to move into these cozy home communities, Part of the deal is you have to agree to provide 12 hours a month to the community in volunteer time. And it's to help out others in the community or to help the community at large. It could be sitting with somebody at a meal or uh, doing grocery shopping for somebody or maybe going to a doctor's appointment to interpret what the doctors say for the person who's, who's hearing it. Uh, to just basically be a friend and be a neighbor. And it's interesting, studies have been done, Don, where, where people are admit that they're more than willing to help each other, but those who need help are always reluctant to ask. Everyone's willing to help, but people don't ask for help. So if you set up this system where it's an obligation, it's like a time bank, a volunteer time bank. I've got hours this month. You've got needs. Let's match them up. Then they do help each other. They do ask and they do get. Right. So that'll be part of the, the intentionality of living in community. It's not for everybody, but part of the design is, look, I want you to sell your house uh, and living out there by yourself. Sell your house and come live intentionally in community where you're going to have people that are going to look out for you. 
as you go through this next stage of life. In a house that you don't have to take care of because it's a rental property, or if it's a purchase, we'll still take care of the landscaping and stuff. So it's a, it's just a smarter, easier way to live together. So that's the, the general concept behind it. In your literature, I saw that you had called it part commune, part golden girls, part co-housing, part independent living, 100% intentional. So I just want you to know you had me at commune, but what does that really mean? <laughs> Well, it's, I say part commune because, you know, boomers in the 60s wanted to live in communes and now boomers are in their 60s and they should live in communes because they should live together in community where they can help each other. One of the big issues in the senior care sector is they can't find workers uh, and they can't keep workers. Well, you know, does, does a senior living community need an activity director? Don't you have residents who could be the activity director? But no one has. The senior care model today is come here and we will take care of you. It's a hospitality model. It's not an engagement right. model. Come here and live in community. They call themselves community, Don, but they don't, they're not communities. They're residential care buildings, facilities. That's it. Most of them. And community, in a community, you have citizens, and citizens have roles and responsibilities. And that's what that's what we're looking for here. So it's not for everybody, but for those who say, well, you know, I'm stuck. I'm in this house. I really don't need to be in this house. But where do I go? I don't want to go to senior living. I'm not old enough, they think, or I don't have the needs for those kinds of things. But I could just go move into a condo or an apartment and, and roll the dice that I'll know, get to know some people and they might make some friends. But it's like, well, wait a second. What if you could move into a community that's designed intentionally for your mindset. And that's that's what we're doing with Cozy Home Community. And it is specifically targeting middle income because that's the great unmet need in the sector. So, so how are you making it affordable to this middle income? Uh, well, first thing is because I'm not a developer, <laughs> I'm coming at this from the point of view of, okay, how do we cut out every middleman in the development process that we possibly can? who's got their hand out and looking to make, you know, 10 to 15 to 20% margin on every step in the process. You'd be surprised in real estate development how many middlemen there are. The other thing is we're not approaching it like a typical real estate developer, which is how do I maximize my, you know, profit per square foot of acreage? We're not interested in that. Yeah, we'd like to make a little bit of money. I've got a mortgage to pay, that kind of thing. But other than that, we're not, it's not about the Benjamins. It's about creating affordable housing. So the, acquiring land as inexpensively as possible is a key. So we're looking at places where we can get land for no or, or low cost. And I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, from a construction standpoint, it is much more cost effective to actually build the houses in a modular manufacturing plant it's still a, a regular stick-built house like you'd build on site. You just build it in pieces in a factory and then deliver it on site. And that way I can con control the construction costs better. I can control the weather because it's inside. Um, there are the modular manufacturing sector has got, it's really a mom and pop business around the country. And I'm not talking about things on trailers. This is a, literally a house that goes on a foundation. It just is built in a factory in sections and delivered on trucks and then craned into place and stitched together on site. So that, that 
helps with uh, keeping costs down. You know, instead of $150 a square foot out of the fact, I mean, uh, uh, on site, it's like $90 a square foot. So you can do a much more affordable product hmm. and still with nice finishes. And you, you'd never know. You'd walk in that house and you wouldn't recognize or think that this was built in a factory. People have that preconceived notion, but that's outdated. And it's nothing like a mobile home. So don't even think that. Um, so all of those things are things that, that we're doing. And then the other thing is we're partnering with senior living operators. What happened, Don, is when I had the concept, I was developing it in 2019 and talked to people who were already in the senior living space, mostly the nonprofit operators, the ones who maybe started 50 or 100 years ago as faith-based organizations, and it was homes for widows and orphans. Right. They morphed into this retirement community, this life care community, the continuing care retirement. So there's operators all across the country, thousands of them, that are, are nonprofit operators. And I would talk to some of their executives, and they'd go, well, Matt, where are you going to build them? And I go, i, I got to find land. And they go, we got land. And I go, what do you mean? Well, we bought land years ago for an expansion over here. So we'd be interested in doing We We need a middle market offering. Most of them don't have middle market offerings. Most of them are under pressure from local municipalities to create middle market offerings because their high-end product, you know, with a $150,000 entrance fee and and $4,500 a month rent, that's not for church secretaries. And yet they're a nonprofit operator putting up $70 million buildings and not paying property taxes. So they find themselves under pressure to, okay, we got to do something here to kind of be more on mission. So I show up and they go, come build it here. If you build it, we'll take it over and operate it. We'll basically buy the finished buildings from you and, and operate the, the community. So that's my go-to-market strategy. It was brilliant up in, when I started in January of 2020. It became less brilliant around the middle of March 2020. Oh, did something happen hit. then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had a, had a little bit of a hiccup. As I like to say to my wife, the COVID fog settled in on the business. But that fog has lifted, and we've got projects now in five different uh, localities uh, and I've got a, a call tomorrow afternoon with another one who's very interested in in bringing a cozy home concept to to life. Well, that was my next question. If if one wants to get to a cozy home, where do we go? Wh which ones are up and running or soon will be? Yeah, it's uh, it takes a little longer than I'd hoped. Again, not being in real estate, I didn't know everything took so darn long. Um, you got to get the zoning approvals and the municipalities have to uh, all the building permits. And I don't know if you know, but there's been lumber shortages and pricing, and a lot of that. Mm -hmm. I, uh, our first project will probably have buildings up in 2023. Uh, it's a small project in Minnesota. We've got another one in Florida that will probably be in 23. Uh, and the others, I, I'm not sure yet how how soon they'll be. It's still probably two years away before we'll have communities up and running. And my goal, quite honestly, is just to get to proof of concept in the near term to show people, look, this is a, a this is something people will want to move into. Here's the scary data that, that I saw, Don, that made me go, somebody, somebody's got to fix this problem. Currently in senior living, there's there's the, the pre-senior living they call active adult. That's the 55 and older communities, age-restricted communities. 
and they're they're single family homes, but they also build you know apartment buildings that are age restricted. The age restricted communities average age move in is seventy four. Really. So they're not getting 55-year-olds. Yeah, especially in the apartment building versions because people don't really want to move there. They do because they get to their mid-70s. They don't want to take care of their house anymore. So they start looking for another alternative. Independent living is the first stage when you get into that continuing care retirement community. They go from independent living, assisted living, skilled nursing, memory care, you know, et cetera. Average age people moving into independent living across the country, 81 years old. Really? And it's designed for 65-year-olds. 81 is the average age moving into independent living. And the, the reality is, is that people that are moving into independent living are moving in because, again, they have to. They've got issues with their acti- activities of daily living. It's called ADLs. That they need, they need some help and they just need to be in a different in- environment. So they put it off. So the, the whole senior living sector is really a uh, needs-based, not a wants-based. Nobody wants to move there. People need to move there. Um, and uh, because there's just aspects of it that are not desirable. Well, why can't we create something that is maybe a desirable place to live through this stage of life? Matt, I really applaud you for these creative ideas. And it's been very stimulating having you here. Uh, I thank you for taking time to present both of these intriguing ideas today and for being with us at the end game. And you can learn more about Openly Gray at OpenlyGray.org. And you can see more about Cozy Homes, including some renderings and models at CozyHomeCommunity.com. Matt, thanks again. Hey, I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, Don. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The Endgame, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction, wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The Endgame.